Hello and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am Pia Lee. Now, Dan Hammond, we have an interesting episode that's um, probably going to bring something back. It really is. So um, we're going to be talking about grief, actually. And um, I was, it may be look back to when we first met and I joined the organization, joined LIW back in 2008. And it was when we first worked together and mom had died the previous year. And then my dad died literally within months of my joining LIW. I don't think those two events were connected, me joining LIW. Um, but there was not really any, it was sort of in a way that, you know, you're an adult and your parents have died. That's the normal run of things. But of course I was, I was impacted hugely by that those two things happening in quick succession. And, and obviously, you know, in being in England, people just ask you, oh, how long was, oh, they had good innings. I don't care what the innings was. It, and, no. you know, they're out. And I don't, you know, <laughs> and uh, so you're going through all these things, but you gave me or sent me an article that you'd seen about uh, adult orphans, which is what happens when your parents die and you are, you know, you're an orphan. And that was really the, pretty much the only, guidance I had of what it of how you're supposed to deal with this situation other than it's you're grown up it's normal get over it um so yeah it really brought that back and I was very grateful to you for thinking but also recognizing that it it's it impacts us at any age and I remember that really well and I remember also that we feel a bit difficult how to broker a conversation, but we all lose somebody. We all feel grief, but we haven't got the words necessarily to to talk about it. And um, I've always said that grief is not a team sport. It's an individual sport. And, and that's a tough one too, because then sometimes you feel really isolated. And when I came to Australia and I married my partner, Heidi, I was welcomed into this wonderful Aussie family. And our guests, James and Christy, are part of my Aussie family. And they have been on an incredible journey of taking their pain and their grief and turning it into an absolutely awesome charity for grieving kids. So let's go over and, uh, and let's meet them because it's a pretty amazing story. And welcome, and really lovely to have James and Christy Thomas from Feel the Magic. Hello to you both. Hello. Hey. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, this is great. This is the second time. Second time we've got a couple. We've got a bit of a theme here, Dan. This is we have. It's, this is this kicking is off. Talk about how humans connect. This is it. Now we're not going to talk about the teamwork of your marriage, so don't worry about <laughs> that. You can we can settle down. But we do want to know about you. So do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are? Well, as Peter said, I'm I'm James Thomas, and I'm the co-founder of Feel the Magic, uh, but more importantly, I'm a, I'm a loving husband and a, and, a, and a doting dad to two beautiful little boys. And I am Christy Thomas, James's beautiful wife, <laughs> and also a co-founder at Feel the Magic, and I currently work in the organisation in a national virtual camp lead role. And the number one question we get asked is, how do you work together as husband and wife? So... We can definitely address that later. 
Well, you started off well by pay- paying each other compliments. I thought that that was a great start. <laughs> yeah, that was very good. We, 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 well, well, let's definitely pick that up a little bit later, but um, we're going to start to get to know a bit about you by playing the Conversation Starter Card Game. And I'm genuinely shuffling the pack, and I'm going to choose a card at random for you. Um, right. And the question is, I want to be known for, what would you like to be known for? I would like to be known for um, having some kind of positive impact on young kids' lives. Well, you already are known. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <you're in> the- <laughs> so I'm going to be known for. A bit of alignment. Excellent. Thank you, Christy. Can I have two answers, please? Of course. I think we know how this is going to go, Pia. Yeah, definitely. You can have two answers, James. So, so one would. <laughs> my first would be, I want to be known as a, as a fantastic father. So I want my boys to in some way, shape or form, replicate their parenting from what I've taught them and some, in some ways better what I've done, but set the foundations for them. And number two would be have a huge part of changing the way that grieving kids are treated in this country. So, you know, you two co-founded Feel the Magic, which was Australia's first charity for grieving kids. It's been a bit of, I know you well, it's been a big journey. It's a very, very long story. And as you know, Per, you've, you've kind of been there for a lot of the journey and watched, watched Christy and I grow along the way. But uh, for us, um, I'll let Christy share her personal story, but we both have lost. Um, we have our own personal stories of loss. So I lost both my parents at a, as a young adult. More recently, my mum on my 31st birthday, which was a huge shock. Um, and as a 31-year-old man, I, I, it's probably the first time I grieved. Even though I had lost my dad, it's the first time I actually grieved and I really didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and scarily, I, I uh, didn't know if I was ever going to be the same again. That's, that's how harsh it impacted me. And, and I think I, not I think, I, I built this lifestyle around um, that age of being 31, you know, getting the house and build a business and all this sort of stuff that I thought would make me happy. But when mum died, it just, it absolutely floored me. And it just made me start asking questions about who I was, what is my purpose in this world and sadly i realized that everything i built up around me and 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 christy meant absolutely nothing yeah for me i lost my brother when i was a young girl so um i've been through and dealt with childhood bereavement so i've seen firsthand what it does to what it did sorry for my family and for my extended family and then for my own personal journey it has absolutely been the one thing that has impacted every decision I've made throughout my life just because of that one event. And then if we take the story back to when James lost his mum, he actually just went into such a depression that eventually we decided that he would sell his business and he did that because he was so unhappy there. And we went on this holiday to Disneyland. And for the first time in a really long time, James said to me, you know, I'm starting to feel better because he just connected to that childhood innocent self of himself. And then realising that, you know, I had been through childhood bereavement, he said, you know, what if we bring kids who have been through the worst thing ever, you know, losing a parent or a sibling, and bring them to the happiest place on earth, which was Disneyland. And, of course, I said, yes, that's amazing. Let's do it. (laughs) 
having been completely naive as to what that meant. Yes. Yeah. It's that, that's probably why these things get started, actually. We have no idea what we're getting ourselves into. We'll yes, put it this I'm way. Sure. We will never start a charity again. That's for sure. No way. No way in the world. <laughs> it sounds like you don't need to. So, look, I'm fascinated by this. So, um, you know, I'm sorry for the loss that you both suffered. Uh, and but it's clearly the foundation. You've used that as a springboard. But you've got a, you know, a grieving adult and a grieving child. And what was the, there's clearly a need for Feel the Magic. What was the support that you had in terms of, around you at that time? I vividly remember the day that mum died. I I didn't know she had died. So basically she died from a brain aneurysm, but I was already on my way to work and I had to turn around and come back. And I saw them putting my mum into the, the ambulance and they said, meet us at Nepean Hospital. We'll, we'll meet you there and we'll let you know what's going on. And the whole way there, I, I was fine. I thought, oh, you know, mum's tough. She, she's a strong woman. She's healthy. She's fit. Everything will be okay. But I remember they ushered us into this room that was almost like a phone, phone booth size. And we were sitting there, both Christy and I, and the doctor or the neurosurgeon just walked in and basically, you, Mr. Thomas, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but I remember it was just cold. Basically, you know, sorry, she didn't make it. And it was... No warning, no. I think Christy kind of intuitively knew that something serious was 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 wrong, and I think I was being a bit naive. But just the way he broke that news to me was cold, and it was methodical, and it was get in and get out, which I've learnt along my journey with Feel the Magic. It's that's what they're trained to do. It's just deliver the bad, some of the police, some of the ambulance, just deliver the bad news and get get the hell out of there. And then it snowboarded from that to speaking to a. What would you call her, Christy? Was she a counsellor on site or a caseworker? I, I can't remember. She was actually the um, person helping with the um, donation of the organs. So she was a support worker for that. But outside of that, there was no support provided. So maybe she gave me a, a booklet. And funny enough, that was in 2011. And she gave me a booklet. And I don't remember what I did with it. And when we moved, so we've, we live in beautiful Port Macquarie. So we moved here a year and a half ago and I found that booklet uh, almost 10 years later, still stored away in the cupboard, not even touched, not even open, not even looked at. So again, ticking boxes, here's, here's, a, here's a brochure, have a look at this and it'll support you, which when, you, when you've just received devastating news, it's, you're not thinking about that. You're not prepared to read a book or read, read some notes. Uh, for me, there was nothing available to me yeah completely different time for me I wasn't even developmentally old enough to be actually understand the words to say for me it was just like a oh my god he's here one day and he's gone the next and so for me going through something so young it's almost like I've heard the term said so many times I don't even I don't think it's a real word but re-grieving is how you just how you describe when you lose someone in childhood each developmental um milestone or anniversary or thing that you go through you think about that person again like oh they're not here for that so it's this constant reminder and so i don't think i sought any kind of professional therapy until i was about 20. well by which time many neural pathways have been Yes. Built. 
Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So feel the magic is going to start to fill some of this gap, I guess. Yeah. So when, so you went to, went to Disneyland, which I've I got, it, it, it makes me feel like a seven year old every time I'm there, which is it, whatever age I go. And then, so then what did you do to then start to take this kernel of an idea and actually get it going? Well, when you start a not for profit, you have to build a board around you immediately which we did with friends, actually. We basically reached out to two or three friends that had specific skill sets and we said, can you be on our board? And um, we started raising money to send kids to Disneyland and in total we sent 14 families over on a, a lifetime adventure. We'd send them with a chaperone so they would have like an interactive so someone would plan out their day and take them along for the ride. But what we found really quickly, what we noticed was that the families were getting more out of communicating with each other and creating their own little community than they were than the actual trip going to America. And so it just seemed obvious that we needed to, that with the money we were raising, we could actually have so much more impact by educating kids on how to grieve and becoming part of the community than sending them off to Disneyland. So that's kind of where that came about. And now we have Camp Magic, which is our three-day camp where children come for grief education. They learn self-soothing techniques, self-regulation techniques, they connect with other kids like them, which is actually probably one of the most important steps is that they f they realise they're not alone and they actually have a ball at grief camp, believe it or not. <laughs> it's actually fun. <laughs> have a ball at grief camp. That's, that's yeah. a good motto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. It's wonderful. But I will say, um, and we'll just add on to that and obviously going back a few years, but I remember sitting on our lounge trying to create a name. So when we first got home, we, we, it's almost like we, we knew it was going to happen. We knew we were going to make it happen. And Christy and I were trying to figure out a name sitting on the lounge and, and we, we knew the word magic had to be in it. And being, you know, a Disneyland experience, it just, yeah, once we come up with feel the magic, we are like, oh, yeah, that's, that's it. The opposite of what you, you felt going through your grieving experiences, I guess, as well. Yeah. So, so Dis Disneyland was just there to give them, some hope, some light at the end of the tunnel to look forward to. But in hindsight, what's come out of it is so, so, so much bigger and more impact longer term. You know, it's life changing. It's, it's wonderful work. So let, and let's dive into this question of how hu humans connected to make all this happen. So let's to get into the teams. You've already mentioned that board that you pulled around you immediately. What, what else have you seen? Well, how else do some teams uh, operate in your world? With Camp Magic in particular, we had created a camp model where each of the children that come along to camp, we have anywhere between 40 and 60 kids, are matched one-to-one -one with an adult mentor. So what we needed at every camp was a team of volunteers to come along and mentor these kids. So in order for us to deliver camps, we needed at least double the amount of kids we had plus a team of people to deliver the program which included volunteers that have mental health 
professional skills as well as professional teachers or educators and then anyone with lived experience, so possibly suffered a childhood bereavement. So essentially when we're talking about a camp of 60 kids, we're talking about 80 to 90 volunteers that come along as well. So it's huge amount of people that we need to deliver our camps. And I think one of the key things for us when we train our mentors and our volunteers and we ask them in, originally our first camp literally was friends, family and people who knew us that we could get in. We had a few random people that came and they're still with us today, which is incredible. <laughs> the randoms. We could, yeah, the randoms. That I think we're actually godparents to a couple of those random kids. <laughs> um they came in and we call them the OGs because they've been, you know, some of them have been to like 15, 16 camps with us. And I think from the very beginning, what they knew they would get from us was we had really clear values. So we started our first camp with empathy, empowerment and growth. So they were the three items that we drilled into them. These are the things that we are looking for at camp. They came along to our first camp and then what we realised, we, we actually had no idea this was going to happen, but we were there to change the kids' lives and what we did um, by having them mentor the kids, we changed their life as well because they were giving back. They felt like they were part of a community and at the end of that first camp we went, you know what, we've got one value missing and we actually added in connection. So we've got empathy, empowerment, growth and connection because that connection piece was the thing that's the magic that happens at camp. We call ourselves a heart-led organisation 100% because of the people that are in it. If we didn't have the people in our organisation that we do, I'm talking about our volunteers in particular, then our kids would not come to camp. It's an organisation that that makes sense, you know. So, I guess from a I guess from a sales point of view, it's um, you know you get, we had sixty or eighty volunteers giving up their time, and they're not packing shelves or painting a wall. Or uh, I'm not discrediting that that sort of service, but um, there's corporates out there that pay big money to send their team to do that type of stuff to charities, whereas we were giving them a lived experience by actually having a direct hand on changing the life of a grieving child. And you could see, feel, and watch this child flourish from someone who didn't want to be there to being on stage at the end, dancing and having fun and connecting with other kids uh, in similar situations. So it's a cause that made sense. And I feel like, you know, go, again, going back to the beginning, it's the more people we told about this organisation, it just made sense. That, you know, there was no one that really questioned it. Along the way, I remember asking myself and even discussing with Christy, how are we the first people that, to think of this? This, is, this can't be true. This, like, there must be other organisations out there doing what we want to do. And, and there are some other organisations, but I, did, I, I found that teamwork wasn't on their radar and collaboration wasn't on their radar. It was almost we do it our way. We're holding things tight to our chest and just go away. So us being so driven and passionate about making a difference, it just attracted the right people. We jokingly say it has a no dickhead policy. 
Really, you know, many dickheads did show up to camp. They they were pretty much flushed out straight away, and it's just the same as in volunteers. It's just beautiful, beautiful people that are there to give back. And just so this is really at the heart of teamwork in a way, is that you you're you're sort of sifting people. But what is dickhead behaviour for you? For me, it, it's it's someone that that is there for themselves. So, you know, they may be too self conscious to get out of their comfort zone and, and give it their all to support that child or try fix the child or, you know, egotistical. I think people who have their own agenda running where they're not really there for the child, they're there for the the status to say, oh, you know, I did this this weekend and people who show up late <laughs> they get a big D on their head, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yes, because we run to a very strict timeline. But, um, yeah, I think it's more that if you – and this, this is what we talk – we do talk heavily about this at camp is that there's no ego. Like it's just you literally – you don't have to – you don't show up at camp being a mom or a – a dad or a famous um, actor, some of our ambassadors come sometimes, or the NRL football player, you're literally just yourself. You rock, you arrive at camp and all of that is falls away and all you have to do is stand beside a child through that journey. And it's the most powerful thing because you just arrive with no preconceived idea that you're going to change the world or fix this person because there's no no one needs to be fixed no one needs advice it's literally just go through the process and you come out the other side and you know volunteers say they go home better husbands better wives better parents because of this experience i've I've got a good mate of mine that's that's done the camp many times and he as a dad of four boys he found himself trying to fix his children's problems by coming to camp and dealing with you know, kids that are dealing with some major problems uh, realise that he can't fix it all and allow their ch- allow his children to develop resilience and work it out for themselves with his guidance, of course, uh, which is pretty big as a as a father because you feel like you need to fix everything, but some things you just you just can't, and it's probably the better the better thing to do for your child. You, you're now the founders of a of a really successful charity, and but but. There must have been times when it was really, really tough. So, so what what were some of the biggest challenges, and how did you navigate that together as the two founders? So, to, to put it plain and simple, without without Christy's support, it, 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 we wouldn't have been able to do what we did. Because I didn't work, I didn't earn a, an actual proper income for about five years. Because Feel the Magic didn't pay me a cent for well, either of us a cent for at least five six years. And so I was I was working as a labourer with a mate three days a week, work, staying up till late, working on this, uh, while Christy worked full-time and ran a dance business. So we did the hard yards. We really did. And, and we, there was many, many times where I just think, this is, oh, are we doing the right thing, you know? And, you know, I guess it was my ego asking me that, but my heart knew that we were on, definitely doing the right the right thing, and which is why we persisted with it. And the more and more kids we supported, the more, impact that made but yeah the, the, t- the toughest thing the toughest thing was you know the no income i guess you know having been a charity too it has its challenges with people's perception of of charity and 
their their uneducated opinion of them at times. Uh, I do I do find that hard, especially when you especially when you you know you built it from the ground up, and it's quite offensive what people think. I'm surprised actually. I thought I thought you would you would be sort of revered for for the work that you're doing and and the fact that it's for charity. That I'm help me understand what what is it that people are th- are they threatened by something i guess when i when i was you know i've been to pitches i've been to a local business chamber commerce meetings and people just think you're there to ask for their money and you're not it's just more about raising awareness and giving a talk and hopefully you know speak to their heart to get them to inquire more about feel the magic but there is that perception of when you see a charity in the in the shopping center with a bucket or you know they want you to stop and sign up. People don't like that. And I always pretend I'm on my phone and walk straight past them. So I always wanted Feel the Magic to be different. And by annoying people, getting the phone call during dinner time to raise to raise money, just just didn't want to do that because that, that's annoying. And I think that's where charities that have been around for many, many decades have been doing that. And it obviously works for them because they, they, they keep doing it, but it just doesn't have to be done like that because it annoys people. Yeah, we always we always wanted to give people an experience first because that way we're giving them something as well. We always wanted to have that exchange where um, it's not just, hey, throw money at us and we'll send you an email that says thank you. It's like, well, if you're going to donate that money, come and have a mentoring experience and do that with us so that you can directly see where where your money's gone. That trickled down to our events as well. All of our events were were top notch. You know, our, our annual gala dinner, that was just a, that was an experience in itself. And that's evolved over the years, you know. And um, yeah, it was, it was always about, I guess, Christy and I always remembered the, the feeling that we had walking through the gates of Disneyland. And that kind of drove us to giving that experience to, to our, you know, stakeholders or board members or volunteers or even even the, the families we supported it's just about that feeling of feeling the magic really and that, that um that idea that you talked about the 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 practice actually of building reciprocity in right from the start that you give and you you receive that's a seems to be a very powerful example of your fourth value of connection actually it builds a stronger bond i guess doesn't it this has been inspiring and um, I think incredib- actually incredibly practical as well. We're getting some really good nuggets for people out there. How would you leave our listener today if you look at your experience of bringing people around you to align to a purpose? What would you say is your learning that you could leave the listener with? What's got us through is we always had a really, really clear vision of what we wanted to create and we're still trying to create that i mean our ultimate goal was always to be a household name so that when someone thinks about grief and loss they know feel the magic's there in australia one in 20 kids will lose a parent by the time they're 18 which is not doesn't include any other kind of loss that they may experience so to be a household name was so important for us and we had that clear vision so Anytime the going got tough, and it got tough because when you're talking about dealing with teams of people going on camps with, you know, 90 volunteers, managing that is difficult and challenging and 
when you are a charity, there's a different expectation placed on you. You're expected to help everyone whenever they need it as well. There's this sense that we are the be all and end all. So yeah, I think having that clear vision of what we wanted to create and impact grieving children's lives, because we were so passionate, we just kept on it. And I think having each other through this, we wouldn't have, I would never have done it on my own. And I don't think James would have done it without me in the sense that we both had times where we wanted to quit and the other push the other one up. And just to be a bit woohoo too, I don't know if that's appropriate, but I truly believe that the stars aligned for us in the way that once we had this idea, we both just had this gut feeling that we were onto something. And we just kept following that gut, kept following, even though it was really hard and we faced many challenges over time, big things would show up for us that pushed us along our way, that just showed us that we're on the right track for sure. So I think from a team and even a business or a leadership perspective, it's funny I'm, I'm saying this now because I'm in a bit of a different position myself, but I think what works when you're in a team and you're trying to build something new, it can't be about the money because if it was about the money for us we would have given up in the first week because that's your first week without pay let alone you know five six years of earning squat so there needs to be a a higher purpose i don't like to use the word purpose but a higher what reason why you're you're committing and devoting yourself to something that is bigger than you are and you know in hindsight couldn't christy know done this if we had uh, two little boys now there's probably no way in the world so again the stars did align we you know we didn't have young young children at the time so yeah i I think from a team perspective yeah it's it's gonna be you know to have the right team not only have the right team but have the right reason why and all on board and i think that's what organically worked for that i don't i don't think christy and i made that happen I, i feel like we it just we've had this idea the stars aligned and everything not everything didn't fall into place, but the right things fell in the right place at the right time. And it's almost like golf. I don't know if you guys are golfers, but I'm a, I'm a terrible golfer. But every now and then I, I think, why am I playing this? And I hit a beautiful shot. And I think, oh, I've got it. I'm going to come back. And I keep coming back to this. And it's like running. It's like starting a charity where you think, this is, this is shit. It's not going anywhere. And, blah, blah. and then all of a sudden you, you meet someone, have a great conversation. That leads to something else that, that supports you for the next six months. Yeah. It reminds me, James, of, you know, I, I think there'll be many people who will be listening to this who may not be starting a charity, but maybe in a startup, a small organization, got an idea, want to pursue it, and you, you're in the dark woods for a long period of time, but it's the passion and the purpose that keep you going and stop you giving up, I think. So, I mean, you know, I think you're just an incredible inspiration because you took personal pain and have really turned it around um, right from the grassroots for for the good. For and I and I have no doubt that you will be uh, a household name because of the good of what you do and that you've just delivered this through your passion and your values all the way through. You've touched many many lives. All of us have have seen a huge impact that you've created. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming on today and sharing that because I think there'll be many people that will be 
incredibly touched and also want to know more about Feel the Magic because I think there'll be a lot of people listening out there that will also be impacted by grief as well. So thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having having us. Well, that was was just a delightful conversation, didn't you find that? It was just... I really did. They're so genuine, so genuine. Really enjoyed meeting them for the first time. And I I hope people who are listening out there feel genuinely inspired by how two people with a passion and a vision have made it happen. I think that that provides an opportunity for all of us, you know, and I think that they got really clear about some things. I, I, I was genuinely interested to hear about James's comments, some of the negativity about being a charity and how they actually got really clear. This was about what they could give and almost that level of reciprocity that happens that when you're in that position to give, then you're going to gain something out of it. That's going to be really rich. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. And build that connection through that. Just, you know, rather that, you know, it's very, our sense of money. That's not connection. Actually. It's when you, when you really build a stronger relationship, something reciprocal, as you say. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was inspiring to hear how James sort of sounded like he hit, bounced off rock bottom. You know, he hit the bottom, but actually bounced back and and did this. I I think that piece about connection, though, is it also struck me that it it, it ties to the no dickheads policy they've got, and we 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 talk about this a little bit, but actually it was fascinating to hear what they meant by that because it turns out that in summary, I thought what I heard was it's actually who are you who are you in this for? Are you are you genuinely in this for the for the um, kids? Or are you in it for yourself? And that little subtle point about ego, we sort of think about ego as being sort of being overbearing or whatever, but that little bit of ego they mentioned, which was, are you too self-conscious to give yourself and to do what's needed to do for the kids at the time? I thought that was a little interesting twist on what what ego can do for us. Yeah, and I think too sometimes that that ego is triggered by our own experience. And, and I'm sure that, and again, that says, you know, you can judge people for being a dickhead, but actually they may have had an experience where they weren't treated very with a lot of compassion. And so they're only just replicating what they know. The overwhelming sense was you've just got this amazing connected opportunity to really learn and give and grow and make a huge difference. And when you've got children who may have lost their parent, and I remember very much a school friend of mine who lost her father, who died at seven. She was seven years old. And all she said to me one day was, my dad died at the weekend. And she never, I knew knew that friend for 20 years after that. She never mentioned it again. So it really does strike home to me the importance of creating this opportunity as you say definitely wasn't grieving wasn't a team sport there by the sound of it and they are making it into one which is just inspiring to see what can be done when you uh, when you get humans to connect around something even as profound as grief it's a wonderful wonderful episode so tell us then who is next so next week we're going to be talking to matt phelan he's the co-founder and ceo of a company called the happiness index so he knows a lot about happiness and he measures it in companies around the world and he's a bright spark and of course this is a happiness is a 
thing that's much debated, you know, what, what, how do you get it? And he will shed some light on that and what that means for teams. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Matt next week. Brilliant. But that is it for this episode. You can find show notes and resources uh, on squadify.net. Just click on the We Not Me podcast link. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share the love and recommend it to your friends. And also, if you have a moment, please go onto your favorite podcast platform and give us a nice rating. You can also contribute to the show by leaving us a voice note with a question or a comment or even a challenge for Peer. Just find the link in the show notes. We're Not Me is produced by Mark Stedman of Origin. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.